Hello, hello everyone. You are listening to The Success Palette, a place to discuss everything that you are not taught in school about how to be successful in the arts. I'm your host, Soda, and today I have Daniel Maluka with me to talk about the importance of embracing that business aspect of the arts. I know a lot of you are like me and really want to just focus on the fun, creative aspect of having an art business. So that's why I brought you here, Daniel. So can you talk a little bit about your journey first? I know you are both an artist and a poet. So I've been writing and drawing my whole life, basically. I started at first because of Dragon Ball Z. When I was a little kid, watching that show had a pretty profound impact on me. I always wanted to draw um, as a result of that show, drawing the characters that I would see. I realized it wasn't necessarily just the characters that I liked, but it was also like the branching storylines and how like you were following the lives of those individuals in addition to the action and the like animation and the, uh, you know, cartoon aspect of it. I got a little older and I realized that like you didn't necessarily have to use like animation or comic books to tell a story through art. Discovering artists like uh, Salvador Dali, Goya, Francis Bacon, I learned that you could tell stories through your artwork through like one-offs, so like a one-off painting. You can do a lot of like symbolic things that do tell a story to the viewer. So that's sort of like what I started to do. I really, really carried that sort of narrative drive throughout my whole art journey. It started with Dragon Ball Z, then later getting influenced by like some of the old masters, some famous painters, Basquiat, Picasso, Dali, Caravaggio, Francis Bacon. They're all pretty big influences on me. And in terms of the writing aspect, similar to the drawing aspect, it was through Dragon Ball Z, right? Because like I love those stories that that creator was telling. Toriyama was his name. I really liked the stories he was telling in his manga and his comic book and in his um, actual show of Dragon Ball Z. So I said, I, I wanted to make like my own type of story. So I was always writing and drawing and writing and drawing and writing and drawing and writing and drawing since I was younger. It was only through university that I started to take just poetry more seriously. The reason for that being was in the creative writing class I had, my poetry teacher would give me higher marks in poetry than in short stories or anything else. And I had asked him why, and he had simply said, oh, just, just the poetry is more interesting. So that kind of planted a seed in my mind to sort of like allow myself to go down that specific poetry avenue. So yeah, that's sort of how I started with the two of them. And I love that you really focus on the story aspect of it, because that is something that is so important for me. My dad is a photographer on the side, and he would always tell me how when he takes photographs, he wants to show a story just in that one image. And that was so profound because I come from an animation background. So I think of story as this whole big thing, but it could really just one phrase, one small poem. I, I'm getting into poetry right now, kind of transitioning from art to poetry and so many similar aspects to it. But I also understand that we have to really make something that doesn't just inspire us, but inspires other people. How do you find that balance between doing what you want to create, but also something that you could make a living off of? Yes, that is a very good question. For me, I would say that that balance 
for me, it's happened sort of like accidentally. I, I've had things that I've drawn that I haven't really thought anything about. Just like something I'm drawing, like maybe at 2 a.m., just a random thing. And someone will connect with it so profoundly, like which has happened to me, that they ask to get it tattooed. They like buy a print of it. They ask to get the thing tattooed that I drew. And there are other instances where it's like, I have two artworks of mine that are the most popular and both of them were like both of them like sell pretty well on my end because i was really really sort of like surrendering myself to the creative process i didn't put as much as my as as much of myself into the work i sort of let the creative spirit that creative energy i sort of let it take over uncensored and then i would create that thing and those are my two most popular ones and i think the reason why they connect with people so much is because i wasn't trying to tell something specific about me daniel i was more so sort of like trying to tap in without realizing trying to tap in more to the collective unconscious and sort of like say what we're all thinking display what we're all thinking like there was one illustration that i did that was also quite popular i did sell a few prints of it it was titled lockdown and it was of a woman it's in black and white it's basically not black and white it's more so in like grayscale it's of a woman lying down on her bed and she's melting and i had drawn this during lockdowns especially in my country in canada our, our lockdowns are pretty severe so when i had drawn that and when i had put that out a lot of people related to it a lot of people sort of tapped into it because they were feeling that same thing so tapping into that collective unconscious is one way that I'm able to like access the business side. The other way that I've been able to access the business side is just like through a lot of networking, right? Like I'm lucky I live in a pretty creative city. It's a pretty artistic city, the, the place that I live. So my mind is always like in tune and looking out for like calls for submission paid calls we need an artist to do this we need someone to do this logo we need this i have this idea i need someone to help me brainstorm i'm willing to pay. any of those sort of like calls for submission i'm really really tuned into and i often apply to them like i recently applied to one i forget the name of it but if you are one of the artists selected they pay you about two thousand dollars and your art goes up on big posters in the subway now, the reason why I submitted something to them is because, like, let's say, like, even if I don't get selected for that, the fact that I'm getting myself into the habit of figuring out what the theme is, drawing something to the theme, creating new work on a timeline that's relevant to that theme, and also writing a relevant artist statement to go with it. So even if I don't win or if, even if I don't get selected, I'm getting myself comfortable and used to the idea of commercial work. As in someone has a very specific idea, a very specific thing that they want you to do, and there's a specific deadline. And I sort of, now, I'm a lot more comfortable with tapping into that and sort of getting into that zone. But I still allow myself to do the other side, where I'm just vibing, letting my mind wander, drawing whatever I want. So I would say... Getting comfortable with uh, responding to specific art calls is how I activate the business side. The networking aspect, being in the rooms, being in the positions, knowing the people who are most likely to need an artist to do something, that's sort of how I access the business side as well. 
and tapping into that sort of like unconscious sense um, when I am making my own artwork for like prints and such. So I would say that those are the, the three ways, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. And what really I connected with was the, where, where you talked about tapping into this connection, this, this overall human experience that we all have. What are some ways that you've been able to do that? Is it through talking with just observing people? Is it just more of a spiritual thing? How do you know how to feel what others are feeling and what they're able to, what they need in their lives through your art and your poetry? I suppose it's, I suppose to answer this question basically depends on like how weird you want to get. Basically, I guess that's my question, right? Because I'm a witch, so <laughs> you could go as weird okay. as you want, but I just love to hear people's because i think it's so important to understand what the world is feeling because i believe in that collective energy so that's why i was very intrigued when you brought that up so i would say yes talking to people being immersed speaking to other creatives seeing where those conversations go letting yourself be open i would say let yourself be a transmitter for that sort of energy and one of the ways that I was able to get into that zone was to be not as intentional about some of the artwork I make. Like, I'll give you an example. There was a point in time when I was really, really got back into drawing after a while of not doing it. And I was like sort of stumped. I was intimidated by big white pages. Like, I didn't know what to draw. I didn't know how to start. So what I did was I would spill coffee on a page, wait for that to dry, come back to it. Then I would let sort of the coffee spills tell their own story. Surrendering my intention, I want it to look like this, it has to be good, it has to, surrendering that intention and letting the artwork lead itself, right? So that's one of the ways. Because I let the artwork lead, I'm not as like um, ego-driven in the things that I create, right? And another way that it happens and I have like, I've had like a theory on this. I think all artists, and I know you would agree with this as a creative, all artists, all creatives, we are ahead. By that, I mean our tastes are ahead. The things that we're into are ahead. And usually we're so ahead of the general curve of what people like, what people are into. We're so ahead of what's in, what's popular. We're so ahead of like what's going to resonate with people that usually people have to catch up to us. Whenever I go on Instagram and you see like those art aggregator accounts and they're reposting art from other artists, whenever I click the artist's actual name to see the artist page themselves, that piece of artwork that the aggregator account is reposting, it's usually old. You usually have to go down a lot of pages to get to where the artist first posted it. But that aggregator is picking it up and it's so popular and it's getting reposted usually a year later, years later. And the reason for that being is I think that creative people are so ahead of the general curve. Our tastes are that ahead that usually others have to sort of catch up to us. So I think as long as you keep that in mind, as long as you as a creative are tapped into what excites you, What's an idea you had that you can't wait to draw? 
what's something, a sensation that came to mind that you can't wait to put into words in a poem, a feeling that comes to mind that you can't wait to show visually. Go down the avenue, go down the path of those creative urges, those sensations, those fragments of inspiration that get you the most excited. Because those things that are getting you the most excited, those are the things that maybe a year, maybe two years later, those are the things that are going to resonate the most, I would say. Like my, my most popular artwork is this illustration called The Black Rose. I first sketched that like in 2017. But it is so popular now. It has been so popular over the most, over the more recent few years. Because I think that like it's now, it's now in. When I had first drawn it, I was ahead. But now the collective taste is catching up to it. So I think that trusting yourself, having the confidence to know that any weird idea, any weird thing that you ever want to draw, that there's a reason why your mind is letting you go there. Listen to that inner voice. Don't censor it and really tap in. I think that's how you get to the point where you're not just creating things that are agreeing with the collective. You're creating things that people don't even know that they like yet. If that makes sense, like they they're going to catch up with your tastes eventually. That was beautiful and something I personally really needed to hear because a lot of us tend to put ego way too high up. We focus so much on how many likes that we have, how many are we keeping up with these trends? We're told to constantly keep up with trends. But by the time that we get to the trend, it's over what you were saying. And, you know, focused on what can I do that can inspire people to want to buy my art? And so focused on that. And while it's important to make money as an artist so we can have the funds to live, when we focus too much on that, we kind of put our ego really high up. What are some ways that you're able to kind of humble yourself to not let your ego take over? Because when that's the art that tends to be most successful, when you really are able to put your ego aside. That's very, very true. What you just said, the art that's the most successful is when you put your ego aside. I think that every artist sort of like deep down feels like a bit of a fraud. Like deep down, you feel that like imposter syndrome. Deep down for you as an artist, as a creative, it's insane. Like for me, for example, it blows my mind even to this day. This happened a few years ago, like pre-COVID. I just drew something randomly at 3 a.m. My friend of mine connected with it so much. She bought a print of it. She got a tattoo on her leg. That is crazy to me. Like, like I, I don't know why she did that. I don't know why it connected with her so much, but... I know that I drew that thing. It came from me. It came from my mind. But the things that I draw that resonate the most with people, they don't even feel like I did them. Weirdly enough, I feel like I'm a bit of like a transmitter for something else. So for me, my ego is always in check because the way that I feel is like the artwork that I'm the most intentional about, that I'm being the most specific, that's the most planned, where I'm saying, I want to give this, I want to say this, I want this symbol, I want it to mean this, I want people to feel this. 
the one where I'm being the most heavy-handed and directed with it, that's the art that tends not to be as popular. The art where I'm sort of like giving up control and letting go and like sort of not leading with, I want to say this, Daniel, I want to like, that's the art that tends to be the most popular. So for me, my ego is always in check because in the back of my mind, I know, man, like I drew this by accident and it's very popular. I did this one unintentionally and it's very popular versus the ones that I like feel are the most by me, by Daniel. Those ones tend not to pop as much. However, the ones that I feel that are the most by me, the most that have the most Daniel in them, I have a personal connection with them. Like I love them more than any of the others. Like there's one that I drew as a self-portrait I drew because I was drawing a lot digitally at the time and I wanted to get that tactile feeling back. So I got this like wooden block and I pinned like a piece of paper to it and I was doing this on the actual page to draw the self-portrait, like really, really like rapidly moving my, my arm around, getting that like sensation, putting a lot of energy into the work. And that's one of my favorites, if not the favorite thing that I've drawn. Does anyone else like it? No. Do I care? No. I like that one because I know how I felt when I was doing that. I'd say that that's how the, the ego is in check for me. That's one of the ways that like I know deep down the most popular ones that I've done are the ones that are not as directed by me. Another way that my ego is in check, it's just like I'm always looking at other art from other artists and the technical level that some people are able to achieve is insane to me. Like my technique is okay. I don't think I'm like the most technical, the most accomplished artist in terms of technique. I think that my concepts are a lot stronger than my technique personally. But when I see artists who are able to draw in like perfect perspective and do all of this and do all of that and people who are able to render so well when they paint and people who have these giant canvases and they can do like, like, like all of those things, like that humbles me as well. That sort of reminds me, hey, like there's a long way to go. This is a lifelong journey. And that's one of the things I always keep in mind that I'm never going to reach a point where like, even 30 years from now, if I keep drawing, which I will, I'm never going to reach a point where I, where I say, okay, yes, I'm now a master artist. Like, now I'm done. Like, no, like, you're, you're always going to be learning more. There's always new techniques to try, new mediums to try, new subject matter to explore. There's always ways to push yourself. And I feel if an artist feels as though they're now a master artist and their ego is out of control, I just think that you're being dishonest with yourself personally. Have you read the book, Ego is the Enemy? By who? Trying to remember. I'm, I've, I've been reading it. Um, so it just, that's what it, a lot of these, these principles started making me think of because not just with the art and writing aspect, I'm sure it's very similar with your poetry, but, you know, I'm thinking of when, with the financial aspect of how sometimes when we do get higher pay for an art or higher audience, higher recognition, obviously we want to be proud of ourselves when we do something well, but sometimes we get so obsessed with these, these numbers of prices and followers and everything. I'd love to hear some of the ways that you are able to kind of focus 
on that, understand that, but also understand that that doesn't mean your value is more significant than maybe someone else. I would say a good thing to keep in mind, especially for a platform like Instagram, Instagram is always going to show your posts that have your face in it to more people than it is any artwork that doesn't have a face in it. The way that the application is programmed, it favors posts with human faces in it, for one. So I've got a lot more likes with, with like a gallery post where like I'm standing there next to something. And it's not because that artwork is like my best one. It's because literally the algorithm is showing the post to more of my followers because my face is in it. So I think it's important to keep in mind the actual limits of the platforms that we're using. The other thing that sort of that I keep in mind that doesn't get me fixated on numbers, even outside of social media, I feel as though that like life can feel like out of control sometimes. We can't control our circumstances, right? Like we can't control where we were born. We can't control who our parents were. We can't control our cultural background. They're just things that in this reality were given to us, right? I feel as though writing, artwork, creativity, that's like the one realm. That's the one of the one arenas where we have total control, where we can do whatever we want. So it's like, I don't let myself get caught up with, oh, this one is selling. I should make more things that look like this. Oh, this sells. I should make more. Because my thought process always comes down to the baseline of this is the one of the only places where I can do whatever I want. I'm not going to let this sale or the popularity of this artwork or anything else influence the aspect that if I want to just wake up one day and for weeks just paint red dots on white paper, and that's the only thing I do for weeks, I have that ability. I have that freedom. I'm not restricted by anything. I'm not contained by anything. So because of that, all of the like numbers and the algorithms and likes and sales, it's not relevant to me because I know like myself, like I know that I would be drawing, I would be creating stuff, I would be writing if no one was watching. If no one was interested, I'd still be doing it because I'm not doing it for anyone but myself, right? Like maybe that's a bit selfish. I don't know, but. If I'm not interested in the thing that I'm illustrating, if I'm not interested in the thing that I'm writing, I'm not going to do it because I have to be, like I was saying earlier, I have to be excited to do it, excited to create, excited to go for it. And as long as I have that feeling, I let myself engage in that sense of play. So in a sense, I am a little bit in a bubble by, by design. Like, for example, I don't know what is in in the art world right now. I have no idea. And I don't care because I'm here to do whatever it is I want. Whatever weird pathway my brain wants to go down, that's sort of like what I do. So I think my my whole creative process, it's not really tied to like external numbers or external validation, I'd say. And you know, something I feel from you is that you you have a genuine love for humanity and that you genuinely want to inspire people. And when you have that, that desire, then you have an unselfish way of creating, even if it's for yourself, because you want to bring joy to the world. And I think that that is so beautiful. And I know that your poetry, I'm sure is a lot like that too. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, how you got 
into writing a book for your poetry? Because you mentioned a little bit how you first experimented with it, but what made you write a want to write a whole book that I believe is coming out in June, right? Or July? Yes. June of this year, June 2024. It's called Unwashed. So since like university, since like 2015, that was when I started taking poetry a lot more seriously. Like a lot of people, I wanted to be like a fiction writer, like a short story novel type writer. But in all the creative writing classes I've taken, it wasn't really like the short stories or the novels that like any of the teachers were connecting with. It was actually the poetry. That was where I would get higher marks in. That was where they, that was the work that they found the most interesting. So I would say I was sort of encouraged to take it more seriously after that point. I started going to more poetry readings around the city. I started to like read more poetry. I started to like let myself enjoy like the granular details of language, like really, really letting yourself like when you're writing something, have fun with like uh, the descriptors and the imagery and the metaphors and the things that you can do to give your writing tactility, to put someone in a location, to put an image in someone's mind. I really started to enjoy that. I fell in love with that aspect of it. So I would be writing here and there. I had a few like writing groups I was in, but I was always writing poetry because there was something I wanted to say. There were, there were feelings that I was going through. For me, it's like if I want to, my writing and my poetry, I usually do it when it's like if I don't believe I have the technical ability to like draw or paint the thing then I'll just sort of like get into it with a poem so that the image is in each individual's mind visually rather than seeing it and it's the same thing vice versa right if I'm not able it's rare but if I don't have the language or if I feel that the sensation I'm trying to put across would be stronger in like a painting, then I'll paint it. Over the years, I was always just writing poetry here, here and there, here and there. I had a bunch of poems from like 2015, 2014 on my computer, just on my hard drive. And I always wanted to write a book. It was always like a goal of mine. And I had thought that it would be like a, a novel, but I had realized that like my creative voice was sort of more suited to poetry. And I had a teacher who basically told me that, like, the art form chooses us. But I sort of, like, really, really believed in that. And I said, let me just give myself into poetry. So I went through all of the poems I had on my hard drive. And I basically found the ones that were, like, the least embarrassing. I said, okay, these ones are good. And I compiled them. I think I had about, like, 30 pages. Um. I had a lot of mentors. I went to a lot of conferences. I was really encouraged. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky, I'd say, for the poetry aspect. I had a lot of people who saw my writing and encouraged me and put a battery in my back and really like told me to pursue it, right? So I met with uh, George Elliott Clark at this one conference, and he read through my like manuscript at the time, just that 30-page one, which was, the, uh, which was all the poems to that date. Uh, pre-COVID, all the poems to that date that were on my computer, I just put them in a Word document. And he was so generous with his time. He he sent me a PDF by email. He's just like, these are different poetic exercises and forms. And he told me, he's like, your writing is suited to this form. 
you're writing a suda to this form. He's like, you should really like do those and experiment. And I was glad to get that from him because if he didn't tell me about those different poetic forms and different like techniques to diversify your writing, I wouldn't have known. Like I wouldn't have done them. So it was through his feedback, through feedbacks, through feedback of others that I like created the actual manuscript. Once I had the manuscript, then it was just a matter of like sending it out to publishers. I didn't have an agent, which is like pretty typical for poetry. Like poets tend not to. So I was just writing my own query letters, just emailing publishers. It was a year and it was a year and like a few months, year and five months. I got about six or five rejections and one publisher who said that they were, that they wanted to move forward with it. So that's sort of how it came. It came about. Yeah. I am so glad that you mentioned all that. I'm going through a similar transition right now from arts to actually songwriting is my new thing. But when you said sometimes you're called to do something else with your the way that you create, like that was so powerful for me because I'm, I've been trying to force myself to express what I want to express through my art and it's just not coming through. And I felt silly kind of switching to songwriting when I've spent my whole life studying art, but I personally really needed to hear that. So I appreciate that insight. What are some of the major themes that you have noticed in both your writing and your art? And do they kind of correlate with each other or do you tend to have separate themes for each? This wasn't even something that I had noticed in my artwork. This girl that I knew who, who had been following my artwork and my writing, we were at a party and she had told me that like she sees a lot of thematic use of the body, of the human body in my artwork. And I didn't really notice that because like, I guess this is like maybe the downside of my creative process. I'm a little bit too in it, like like, like I'm too much like this sometimes, just like my head deep in the bushes doing my own thing, not really like taking a step back and seeing it as a whole. So I couldn't see all of those references to the body over the years. But when she said that, I said, yeah, like that makes sense. Like there is a lot of references to the body in my artwork. There's a lot of references to the body in my writing as well. In my visual work, I, I tend to do things, right? Like if I want to give across a feeling of powerlessness, maybe the figure will have no hands, something like that, right, that I draw. And as well with my writing, I'm thinking of a few lines that I've written where like the body is referenced and it's like either the body's being broken down or like to make a thematic point or like exaggerate something happening to the body to give a feeling emotionally to the to the reader. So I think that there there is that interplay between the writing and the art in terms of the body. And in terms of the writing, I'd say a lot of the other themes, it's more so centered on like heartbreak, right? Like sadness, like my artistic voice in visual art, it's not as sad as my voice is in writing. Like I've never been able to write like, a, like an uplifting poem. I'm just not capable of it. When I sit down to write something, it just comes out as either like, really intense or like really really sad that's just where my poetic voice is with the actual poetry but i'd say in terms of both of them my brain tends to see them as separate 
like I have experimented in the past where like I'll draw something then write a poem for it or or the other way around but I don't know like I feel as though if you're just transcribing images from your poem and your artwork like my brain kind of thinks like like you've already done this you see what I mean like you've already shown the individual the image with words why are you now showing the image again visually right like I feel as though you're at least in my instance I'm taking something away from the poetry if I want to draw scenes from a poem because it's like the whole idea is like you're trying to get the individual reading it to conjure those images in their own mind. Like, why are you then showing it to them? Like, why are you being so prescriptive? Be like, oh, this is what it looks like. This, like, no, like, just let it live on its own. And I think I sort of view the artwork the same way, weirdly enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you put a lot of soul into everything that you create. And I know most of us do. We put so much soul and so much love and effort. And when it comes to selling it, it kind of feels like you're, you're taking part of your soul and monetizing it. What are some ways that you can still feel good about selling something that you put so much soul into? What are some ways to rethink that, that kind of philosophy? That's a really good question. And I totally understand how it can feel like that, that you're like selling out or like selling pieces of yourself. But for me, my thought process is no matter how personal the work is to you, as soon as you put it out, as soon as it's made public, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's now a part of the public ecosystem. It's now a part of the public consciousness. Like it's there. It's a thing. It exists in the world, right? Like, as soon as I make something and I put it out, it's not mine anymore. That's kind of how I view it. Like, it's not anything that I'm precious about because it's like, eh, like I made it and it's done. Like I made it, it's gone. I made it like, like it's, it came from my mind, went through my body, went through my fingertips, went into my pencil or paintbrush onto the page and now it's gone. I did it like it's by Daniel, but like, do I own it now? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that like I'm not precious about it because it's it's not mine anymore. I don't know how else to to say that though. That really makes sense to me. Are there any specific situations that you have had to deal with where you had struggles with balancing the aspect, the business aspect and the creative aspect and what are some ways that you were able to overcome that? Because I have a full-time job, right? Like, I'm in a field that's not creative. That's how I make my money. But outside of that, I'm, like, always engaging in, like, art, making art, writing poetry, writing in general. I'd say that what I do to avoid that feeling is I'm a, I'm a lot better with how I structure my time. Last year has been like the most fulfilling year for me artistically. Like it was, it was amazing. Like I'm, I'm very grateful for everything that happened to me last year. And this year is the same, but with how busy things have been, I actually have to use like a personal calendar now to like schedule like, okay, like this day is going to be a day where I let myself make the artwork. This day, like Sundays at around three, four PM, that's like my, 
art admin day. That's my poetry admin day. By that, I mean I'm doing all of the stuff to support the art stuff that are not creative, like sending out emails, applying for grants, applying for shows, submitting calls to submission, editing poetry, submitting poetry to different calls, trying to get into readings, trying to get noticed by, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of the stuff that's more the non-creative business side, I actually schedule that time out so that my mind doesn't feel guilty when I am creating. Thinking like, oh, I should respond to the email because my mind knows, oh, I have a day set up for that. It's fine. When that day comes, I'll do it. Boom. So that's sort of how I separate them. But I'd say that there have been days, right, where like you come home from work and you're tired, right? And you have so many art things that have piled up, so many writing things that have piled up that you have to respond to. And it can feel like sort of like having two jobs. It can feel like that, right? Like I've definitely had days where I was just like, why am I even doing this? Like, what's the point? Like I'm not making money consistently from it. It's draining my energy. Like, why am I doing it? But the thing that sort of keeps me balanced, the thing that sort of keeps me uh, consistent is realizing, oh, no, I'm doing it because I love it. Like, I love this, right? Like, this is what I feel like I'm here for. This is part of what my purpose is, right? Like, this is, this is like, I love this so much that, like, I'm willing to sacrifice time after work from it. I'm willing to lose sleep over it because I love it. And that love, that joy, that excitement from it, it's worth structuring your life around. That's how I feel. I completely, absolutely agree. And a lot of us do have to work full-time jobs while we write our book or make our music or create our art. And some people feel ashamed of that, that they aren't doing this full-time. How do you really embrace your your inner artist when you do have to have that full-time job working something that is not artistic? And are there any ways that you could actually benefit from not being a full-time creative? I definitely think that there are ways you could benefit. There's a video that I saw. It's by this uh, sculpture artist, this uh, this uh, African-American guy. I think he's living in America right now. His name is Leonardo Drew. This video changed my life. It changed my life. It's just like a it's just like a four minute clip. I can find it and send it to you after. He was just talking about his traveling and whatever, and he said that he used to be of the mindset where it's just like, I have to be in the studio all the time. I have to be painting all the time. I have to be engaged in my artwork all the time. I'll lose them. He used to be in that sort of like um all consuming sort of mindset. He said that he was on a plane in Japan, he said that he realized, he's like, oh, he realized, he's like, I actually don't have to be in the studio all the time. It's like, even if I'm not making art, if I'm playing with my nephews, if I'm on this plane, if I'm doing something, if I'm at work, the art is happening within me. The art's happening within my body regardless. Like that insight from him changed my whole perspective because I used to be of that same mindset where it's like, oh no, you have to be doing it all the time. But you literally don't. Like 
think about it, right? Like, I'm sure you can relate. You, you, you've probably had times in your life when you're not being creative, when you're not making things, but magically you always end up going back to it. It always comes back. And the reason why it always comes back is because this is, this is your calling. This is your thing. So you don't have to always be tapping into the well and drawing every day and, and really, really grinding and going crazy. You're going to burn yourself out doing that. And I know that like when I'm going to work, when I'm at work, when I'm dealing with clients, when I'm going for a walk, when I'm whatever, all of that life, all of that life experience that we go through, frustrations, anxiety, fears, worry, happiness, all of that is creating an alchemical concoction within us that is building the art. The art has to come from somewhere, right? It has to come from something. If you were isolated, living in like a tower and you had no input, you had no stimuli, what art would you make? Right? Like, like, where would your inspiration come from? So I'd say what I keep in mind is I know that, um, regardless of what I'm doing, the art's happening within me. The other thing that I keep in mind is it's this one artist. I, I met him here in Toronto and we were at an art show and he said that, like, um, he tried going full time to be an artist, right? And he said that it warped his whole mindset because this was his, like, livelihood. It became like if if he didn't do this, he wouldn't eat, right? If he didn't sell, he wouldn't survive. So he said that his attitude, even at shows, when like people would ask him, "Oh, what is what is this painting about?" Whatever he said, whenever strangers would approach him, his mindset would immediately be like, "What a waste of time! This guy's not going to buy." So like already, like his mindset is warping the interaction because there's too much pressure on it. There's too much pressure on it. And that's why, like, I wouldn't want to go, like, full-time because this is my baby. Like, I love it. Like, I don't want to fall out of love with it by forcing myself to put economic pressure on it. That same artist, he, he stopped doing full-time. He did interior design and then did his art on the side. And he said it was perfect. He said that, like, that was the balance that he needed. And me and him are similar, right? Like, I know myself. I would have that same attitude he had if I went full-time with it. I'd approach every interaction with that same amount of like hostility because I would get frustrated. Just like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. This person's not buying, this person's not... like. It's turning this thing that should be your passion into something where it's like, if you're not giving me money for it, then what's the point? So I think that like those are the two things that I do to keep myself balanced, right? Like I protect it from the capitalist power structures that we live in. And I also sort of know that you don't have to be creating all the time to be creating and, and quotes, you know? I love that answer and I completely agree. What is something that you wish every artist who's wanting to create an art business maybe in addition to what you were just talking about, would know that would help them become more successful as an artist? Not to get too meta, but I would say, know what you don't know. Know the things you're not good at. In terms of like making a business plan, making a budget, marketing, graphic design, advertising, I don't know how to do those things. I'm not good at those things. 
I'm not going to then force myself and bully myself and shame myself for not knowing those things. I'm going to, if you're lucky enough, to lean on people in your life who have those skills and ask for help. I would say know what you don't know. I know myself pretty well at this point. I'm not going to learn how to code my website. It's just not going to happen. I tried it. It's not going to happen. So I lean on people who I can go to for support. I would say being humble enough to ask for help, being humble enough to lean on people for support, and being like wise enough to steal. By steal, I mean if you know an artist, and for example, like there's an artist I know. She has like a content calendar. What she does is anytime she has like multiple shows in a month, she'll post like an animated calendar and she'll circle and then note down what the shows are for each thing. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's an easy way to remind everyone in one go of all the things that you have coming up in a month. And I would steal that. I would do that too because it's smart. You know what I mean? So like lean on the people who know more than you and don't be afraid to steal if you see someone doing something that makes sense, I'd say. I absolutely do that. I My main core group, my main support group is not an artist group. It's actually a networking group called Women Into Networking. And we are just all about sharing what helps us be successful and really learning from each other. So that was perfect. It's unreasonable to expect one individual to be an expert on everything. Doesn't make sense. I think that the, the, the smartest people, the most successful people, they know what their capacity is. And for things that are outside of their scope, they delegate. Yes, delegation. I think it's important to learn the very basics of things, the very basics of what is SEO? What is, you know, what, what are all these things? But you don't need to become an expert in them. And if you can't afford to hire an expert, there's always bartering. There's always ways that you can work with others who are expert and actually, for some reason, love doing social media things or whatever it is, building websites. <laughs> so that is what I want to see more of in the art community and the writing and music, whatever it is. So I'm so glad that you brought it up. And did you have any final thoughts? And also, what are some ways that people can find you, can find your book, can find any other social media outlet of yours? Okay, so you can go on danielmaluka.net. That's my website. D-A-N-I-E-L. M-A-L-U-K-A dot net. Right there on my homepage, you can put your email in to get on the email list. Once I have any updates or info about the book titled Unwashed, coming 2024, June, maybe later, but yeah, 2024 for sure. Once I have any updates on that, once you put your email in, you will receive those updates. I'm also on Instagram. My Instagram handle is what Daniel Drew. So W H A T, the first name Daniel, and then D R E W. The book is coming out June 2024. It's called Unwashed. It's a collection of poetry. Um, the subject matters on alienation, growing up, the immigrant experience, a loss of innocence, you know, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I'd say those are the uh, best places to reach me at. 
Perfect. And I will put all of those links down below. Please check out Daniel. He has some amazing work and some even more amazing stuff coming up in the future. So thank you so much for meeting up with me today, Daniel. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Success Palette, where we talked about balance of being your creative, authentic self, your business strategy, and also how ego plays a part in all of that. If you would like to listen to more bonus episodes or check us out on social media, please go to thesuccesspalette.com. And please, let's make it a successful week. See you next time.